So this morning we're going to be uh, continuing in Titus. We've been in the book of Titus the past number of weeks. We'll just continue in Titus. We're in the last chapter of Titus. There's three chapters. So Titus chapter 3. You want to turn to Titus chapter 3. We'll cover the basically the first eight verses of the book of Titus. And as as we kind of covered through this series, you know, Titus is a pastoral epistle. It's, it's a uh, letter that Paul wrote to Titus, uh, young Titus, as he was pastoring a church in Crete. And so Paul's giving Titus this uh, guidance and instruction as he uh, goes and takes on this, this task of pastoring this uh, church. And obviously uh, there's a lot going on in that church. As you know, the uh, first chapter talks about how you know, they were uh, liars, glutton, evil beasts. Uh, so he, he's got a lot on his hands that he's trying to, to kind of help this church and, and to grow this church. Um, and so Paul's just encouraging him with this and giving him instructions. So as we, we look into Titus chapter 3, we're going to see Paul continues in this, this theme and, and in this lesson towards Titus. Uh, and then he's also going to mention some things for Titus to, uh, as he looks forward and goes ahead to uh, what what the Lord's doing there on that island of Crete. But before we go into the passage, uh, first let me go ahead and pray for us as we study His Word this morning, and then we'll we'll look at what what God's Word has for us this morning. Lord, I, I thank you for uh, this Your Word, God. Thank you that we can uh, study it and and learn from it, and also grow closer to You, and as it speaks to our hearts, God and. Lord, thank you for your nearness. Thank you that um, that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us, God, and that um, that you hold us close to you, and that you are the one that gives us the the comfort, the strength, and the peace and the grace that that we need, Lord. And so, I pray for this this word, uh, this time in your word this morning, and uh, that you will just uh, speak to our hearts and and bless this time, and uh, that you will be glorified in this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so uh, we're, we're all in Titus chapter 3. Well, the, the other day we had uh, at our life group, uh, we got around to start talking about testimony. Like, in, you know, so uh, some of us were just sharing some of our testimony and, you know, how God worked in our life, how we came to, to know the Lord. And uh, so we were able to just talk. And it was, it's always, I enjoy getting to hear people share their testimony, get to hear people share what God's done in their life, how God um, stepped into their life and, and brought them, you know, called them to himself and what God's done in their life since they've been walking uh, in their in their faith and their walk with the Lord. And so whenever you hear somebody share their testimony, you're going to hear basically three things that they're going to generally cover in their testimony. They're going to share what their life was like before they knew Christ, you know, what, what it was like uh, before they had a relationship with Jesus, uh, the way that they lived, the, the things they did, um, what was missing, what was there that shouldn't have been there. You're going to hear about everything before Christ. Then you're going to hear about what their life looks like in coming to Christ, how that, that came about, what led to them coming to Christ, what um, you know, brought that into their lives, whether a person that shared the gospel with them, was it, were they somewhere where they, they heard the, the gospel shared, were they just by themselves and they read the Bible themselves and, and came to um, 
received the gospel and, and the Spirit convicted them in that point in time. But you're going to hear how they came to the Lord, how they came to know Jesus as their Savior. And then the last thing you're going to hear is what their life's been like since they've come to Christ. What, what has God done in their life? How has He changed their life? How has He uh, made, brought this newness of life and this, uh, this new hope that they have and, and because of that relationship with Jesus, this hope for this life and this life now, but also for the life to come and you know, for our eternal life. So you, you're going to hear those three things when you hear a testimony generally. And so what Paul t- is talking about here in Titus chapter 3 he talks a little bit about a testimony, what a testimony would look like. So we're going we're gonna to look at those three things, what, what a life would look like before Christ, what it would look like in, in coming to Christ, and what it would look like after having come to know Christ. So Ed, we're going to start with uh, verse 3. We're going to jump to verse 3, and then we'll come back to the, the, uh, the first couple of verses. So verse 3 is going to tell us what what our lives look like before Christ. So we see verse 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So you read that and you think, well, that's not the most flattering description and uh, way to uh, thinking of a category that you would want to be in. You know, you're, um, he's saying foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves, passing days in malice and envy, hating others, hating one another. Um, and a lot of you might think, well, I, I don't know if I'd really even put myself in that category. Like, you know, that's, I mean, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I mean, that's a little bit harsh. But if you read it, Paul starts out that verse saying, for we, we, meaning us, and he's including himself. He's including himself in this. He's not saying for you all or for they. He's saying we. We're, we're all in this. And so, as you know, you know from Paul's life, you know, Paul was, before he was Paul, he was Saul. He was the uh, top Pharisee. He, he had the law. You know, he knew it. He, he was one of the um, holier-than-thou kind of, kind of guys. But he says, we, he includes himself in this list because he realized that ultimately we all fall short. That The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. We're going to pick up on that a little bit later. But So that's the the reality. At first, you you can't get found until you know that you're lost. You can't see until you know that you're blind. You can't um, come to the light unless you know that you're in darkness. So you see that uh, that there's not there's no righteousness in that. There's no righteousness at all in that uh, verse, which there is no righteousness of ourselves. And Jesus said you know, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall never see the kingdom of heaven. So he he basically says that you know here here we are, we don't have it all together. We're we're not as good as we may think we are that we were sinners in need of grace. That's basically what, what this verse is telling us. And Jesus would drive this point home because right after he said, you know, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the very next verse he starts to tell them, 
You've heard that it was said, but I say unto you. You've heard that it was said, but I say unto you. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you hate in your heart, you've already committed murder in your heart. And so you may say, well, I'm not really guilty of, of you know, a lot of these things. Or, but the reality is that our hearts, our hearts are not righteous. The Bible says that they're uh, that, that they are wicked and um, that they're evil and that they're as filthy our righteousness is as filthy rags. Desperately wicked and and sick and who can know it? So that's the the bad news basically. You know there's a, there's bad news, there's good news. So there's the bad news. We're we're sinners that we are not righteous. So Knowing that, it makes the good news that much better, right? Because you know, well, here's here's the the bad news, and here's what we don't have. Here's what we're in need of. But there's there's something that we actually receive to take care of, of that that problem, that sin problem. And that's where this next part comes in. So we see in the next verse, it says, verse four, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. And the verse starts with a conjunction, but, but, so you're sinners, but you're in desperate need of grace, but you fall short, but that conjunction is what makes a difference. That conjunction is what links these two verses together. And it's also a conjunction that we see in other parts of the Bible. We see it in Genesis 50:20 when Joseph's talking to his brother and he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We see it in Romans where it says that, but God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So that, that little conjunction is a small word, but it makes a big difference because that's what links these two verses together. So you see in verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, so think of the goodness and loving kindness. Think of the contrast between the verse we just read in verse 3 and the verse verse 4 here. Verse 3 is talking about us. Verse 4 is talking about God. So verse 3 is talking about darkness. Verse 4 is talking about light. Verse 3 is talking about bad. Verse 4 is talking about good. Verse 3 is talking about hate, hating one another, being hated. Verse 4 is talking about loving kindness. And there's one of the songs that we'll sing sometimes here in church that I like, and I kind of thought of when I was reading this is, uh, living hope, where the line, one of the lyrics says that um, that through the darkness, his loving kindness tore through the shadows of our soul. And that's that's what's going on in this verse. There was darkness, and that through that darkness, his loving kindness tore through those shadows of our soul. So we see the loving kindness of of God our Savior, it appeared. And then the next verse... Because of that, because of that loving sign, that loving kindness, and that goodness of God, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Again, you, there's no righteousness in us, and it makes sense, right? If if we were righteous already, we wouldn't need to be saved. So, so He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. But, there's that conjunction again, but 
according to his own mercy. And it doesn't get any clearer than that. It's his own, his own mercy. Not my own, not your own, not our own. His own, his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And when I read that verse, I think of the last part of the story of the prodigal son. We, we know the story that the son he goes and squanders his inheritance. He, he spends it all and comes back with nothing. And the father receives him back into his home. And, and the, the last thing that the father says in that, that parable, he's talking to the, the older brother, he says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so in this verse, that's what we're seeing here. What was dead and gone is now regenerated, is now renewed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. Jesus says in Revelation, the, the end of the Bible, Behold, I make all things new. What, what God brings in, in his salvation and his grace is newness. That's why when we celebrate baptism, which we did last week, a lot of times we'll say, walk in the newness of life. We're given new life and a new hope, a new uh, purpose. So we see this newness here in, in what he has done for us and, and that he saves us. Verse 6 will say, Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Whom he poured out on us richly. He poured out richly. So you, you think of this lavish pouring out of grace. The Bible says in 1 John that, you know, see with what love the Father has lavished on us that we shall be called the children of God. Lavish. It's not, you know, just, I'm going to kind of scoot some your way. He, he dumps it on it. He backs a dump truck and dumps this grace, this overwhelming grace on us. And when I, I was a kid, I liked to go to Bush Gardens. And uh, one of my favorite rides at Bush Gardens was called the Tidal Wave. Tidal Wave. And, which, by the way, I'm talking about the Bush Gardens in Florida because I know some of you are thinking of the Virginia Bush Garden. You're like, I don't remember that ride. Well, it's, a, it's down in Florida, so if you want to go to it, you got to go down to Florida to, to ride this. But So this ride is called the Tidal Wave, and basically you, you get in this little raft, and you just mosey along in this very peaceful, um, calm little stream that you kind of mosey along, and you just enjoy that. But all the while, you're kind of getting higher and higher up. So um, eventually you get like where you're on a peak, and then from there... You kind of you just look down and and your raft about to just go plummet down into the water, and then it hits the water and it makes this huge splash, which is why it's called tidal wave. And then the water splashes and then it just comes back down on you because you just the same water that you just you know stirred up is now coming back on you and it, so you're just covered in it. But my favorite part of that ride was not the ride itself, but actually when. So there was a bridge in front of where this ride would come down. And you could go and stand on the bridge. And so as soon as that you know, raft hit the water, all that water went to the bridge. 
and you could stand on it and just get blasted with that, that water, that splash of water. And so my sister and I would go up there and we'd hold on the railing because it was so powerful that sometimes it would just knock you, knock you down. So we'd hold on it and just get blasted with water. And that was, that was our tidal wave experience. Well, that's, that's kind of what we're seeing here, that it's so rich, it's so lavish, it just is an outpour of his love. And the Bible says, you know, when he opens the windows of heaven, he pours forth his blessing. They, they are lavished on us. But also notice that it says, they're poured out on richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Through Jesus Christ our Savior. That's the only way that it comes through. There, there is no other means of receiving that grace and that, that love. And Jesus says so himself in, in John 14, 6, that, you know, that no one comes to the Father but through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said it in, in the Gospels. So we see that this rich grace and mercy comes through Jesus Christ our Savior, then the next verse says, so that being justified by His grace, that almost, you kind of wouldn't even think of those two words together, you know, justified and grace. Justified is kind of talking about justice, and grace is talking about forgiveness. But that's, that's exactly the point, that he, he took care of the justice. He paid the price on the cross. He paid the ultimate debt that was ours. And as a result of that, we received the grace. That's, that's what the gospel is. And then, so, we might become heirs. So, last week, Eric and I, you know, we have two small children, and we thought, you know, it'd be responsible to put a, a will together, just, you know, so we have something in place, just just so we know it's already taken care of. And so, you know, we work through it and writing this will and, uh, you know, it asks different questions. But one of the questions it asks is basically what you have, who's it going to go to? When you're gone, when you die, who's it going to go to? And so obviously, uh, of course, we, if we put our children. It's going to go to our children. Whatever we've got is going to go passed on to them. So, when we die, our children are getting what, what was ours. So, when it's saying that we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, that's kind of what it's referring to, heirs. When Jesus died, who got what he had to offer? Who received it? His children. Us. We received it. What was, the, what was it that we received? the greatest gift of all, the hope of eternal life. There is no greater thing that you can receive and there is nothing that you can be, greater thing that you can be an heir of than to receive the eternal life that Jesus provided through what he did for us on the cross. Romans 8 says that we are co-heirs with Christ. So we, we receive this, this rich, vast love, this inheritance, this hope, this eternal life. So all this is what takes place when we come to Christ. Remember I said there's our life before Christ. We've looked at that in verse 3. Our life once we've come to Christ, 
this is what's going on right here. We're justified by His grace. We receive that hope of eternal life. What is our life supposed to look like once we do come to Christ? We'll, we'll go back up to verse 1. because That's going to talk more about what our life should look like once we come to Christ. So Paul is telling Timothy, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. The next verse says, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So that's a pretty different list than what we read in verse 3. So our lives are supposed to look different since we've come to Christ than it did before we did. In this list, we see Paul, he mentions that there's a contrast. There's submissiveness, there's obedience, ready for every good work, speaking evil of no one, avoiding quarreling, gentleness, having gentleness, and perfect courtesy. So let's just break them down just a little bit. Going back to verse 1. And a lot of this is pretty simple and straightforward. Being submissive and, and obedient basically means that, that you're not causing, stirring up or causing trouble, that you are submissive and obedient. Unless there's something that is asked to, contrary to God's word, that you are submissive and obedient. to so rulers, authorities, whoever God has placed on over you. And Adrian Rogers once said that we'll never learn to be over what God has put under us until we learn to be under what God has put over us. So being submissive to rulers and authorities, being obedient, those are the things that are going to carry forth and and these next things that are on the list. Be ready for every good work. Be ready for every good work. It means you're, you're ready, you're willing. If there's a need, you're willing to jump in on it and, and meet that need. If there's uh, something that that needs help, then you're willing to, to step in and, and help. You're ready for every good work. And then it says that in the next verse, speak evil of no one. Kind of like what our moms told us when we were kids. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Well, if you're gentle, you're not going to be quarrelsome. It's kind of opposite. So gentleness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And show perfect courtesy toward all people. Notice the words perfect and all. Perfect meaning you're not half-hearted about it. You're not, well, I'll, I'll be, you know, somewhat courteous or somewhat nice and, uh, you know, just not downright mean, but I'm not super, super courteous either. No, it says perfect courtesy. It says toward all people. It doesn't say just the people you like or just those that are courteous to you. Remember, Jesus touches on that. He says, you know, if you only do good, those do good to you. How are you any different? So perfect courtesy toward all people. And we see that Jesus, this is what Jesus modeled. This is the example that Jesus gave in his life. He was gentle. He was humble. He was courteous. He was gracious. The Bible says that it speaks of Jesus in 
in Isaiah, it says that a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. So you think of the, think of that uh, picture, you know, a bruised reed. So you see a reed that's just about to break, like it's you know, all you have to do is blow on it and it'll break. And it says he's gentle enough to where he, he's not breaking that, and he's gentle enough to where a, a faint, faintly burning wick he will not quench. All you have to do is just put your fingers on it and it will go out. He's, he's so gentle that he's not putting that out. It's just illustrating the fact that he was gentle, he was meek. And at the same time, he had power, he had authority. He drove out the money changers when he needed to. So there, there is a time when you have to stand boldly for God, but at the same time, it should, you should still do that all the while, maintaining courtesy and maintaining these qualities that are described in this, in this uh, verse. There's a, a couple things that in, in regards to this that I learned in college. I'll go ahead and share them with you. Uh, so one thing that I learned that I, I was taught in college was three qualities that were just pointed out. I mean, there's, you can point to many, many qualities that Jesus uh, displayed and demonstrated, but just three that we kind of went over and reviewed that Basically, if you, if you strive to kind of emulate these qualities and, and follow this example, the other things will start to fall in place. So the first quality was blameless. Jesus was blameless. He, he wasn't guilty of doing wrong. He, he was blameless. Now, obviously, we're not going to match all these qualities perfectly like Jesus did, but that's what we're, we're striving toward. We're trying to grow and become more like Christ. So blameless, that's self-explanatory. Don't do what's wrong, do what's right. The Bible does say that if you know what is good and do not do it, it is sin. So he was blameless. second one was humble. Jesus was humble. He came, he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. He was humble and he didn't try and, and tout and he, he made himself among us and that's the ultimate humility. So, following Jesus, we're going to be humble. Pride is the only poison that's good for you when you swallow it. Be humble. And the third one is, he was gracious. He was gracious. That that word carries in itself grace. He, he extended grace and compassion to all, all that he came across. He was gracious. So, if you if you can be humble, blameless, and gracious... The other things will start to fall into place, take care of themselves. The other thing that I learned in college was an acronym, WATCH. W-A-T-C-H, WATCH. And what that acronym was is the W, basically what we're watching, what we first are asking God to watch for us and asking God help us with these things. Uh, And we're also watching ourselves and, and trying to and trying to follow God, we're trying to model these things too. So the W is words. God, watch my words. Let the words that I say be pleasing to you and to you your sight, God. That's, again, what it says about speaking evil of no one. Watch your words. The A is actions. 
actions. What do you do? The places you go. God, watch my actions. The T is thoughts. Watch my thoughts. The Bible says whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, think about these things. Watch your thoughts. Because those are what lead to the action and the words. The C is company. God, watch my company. Help me to watch my company. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals. People that you hang out with, it influences you. That's what's going to spill into your, your action and your thoughts and your words. And finally, the H is heart. God, watch my heart. The Bible says that the heart is the wellspring of life. He said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart is the source of it. If, you know, you can take care of you know, the surface and you, know, you can keep cutting the grass, but if the roots are still there, the grass is going to keep growing no matter how many times you cut it. You don't address the heart, then, that's, then all the other things are still going to continue to happen. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Okay, and let's jump to verse 8. Verse 8. This is how we conclude what, what Paul is telling to, to Timothy. So he says, in light of all the things that I've said to you, you, I've told you this is what your life looked like before Christ, this is what it should look like when you come to Christ, and then this is what your life will look like now that you've been living in Christ. He says, the saying is trustworthy. That means it's true through and through. It's true. And I want you to insist on these things. In other words, Paul's telling Titus, focus on these things. These things. These things that I just covered. Don't get tangled up in the weeds and in, in the lesser things. He says, keep your focus on these things. I think that's something that's it can be easy to just get tangled in, in the, the weeds and, or just get caught up uh, in the waves of, of other things, but we're supposed to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is, I, there's a, a church I've been to where the pastor, he, he told the congregation, if I ask you a question in the congregation, if you answer Jesus, you're pretty likely to get it right. Like you just answer Jesus. So who, who we love? Who loves us? Okay. So what's the main thing? Okay. Good. So yeah, Jesus is the main thing. He's the main thing. And it says, so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Good works. That term is mentioned three times in this passage. Back in verse 1, be ready for every good work. Uh, Here in verse 8, devote themselves to good works. It's mentioned again in verse 14, devote themselves to good work. And verse 14 continues, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. That's why we're supposed to be ready for good works. Because there's urgent needs all around us. 
there's needs for us to jump in. Those, those are times when, of all those who are to respond, the Christians should be the ones that respond first and and foremost, and with the graciousness and compassion and humility and the courtesy that Paul talks about in this, this passage. James says that, I will show you my faith by my works. So the faith, coming to faith in Christ, there should be fruit that come from that. There should be good works that come through that. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciple by your love for one another. And he said, that if you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. And one time I, I read on somebody's, in somebody's kitchen, I always like this, people have some funny things or some you know, wise things in their kitchens and little plaques. And so one time, one of the things I read was, it simply said, if it's broken, fix it. If it's empty, fill it. If it's hurting, love it. And it may have said other things, but those were the three that really stuck with me. If it's broken, fix it. If it's empty, fill it. If it's hurting, love it. God ultimately is the one who does the fixing, the filling, and the loving. But if we are walking in Him and we're following Him, then we're going to reflect that. We're going to shine and demonstrate that. So where you see brokenness, you point to to God and you show the love of God that you know, whatever I can do to, to help and to fix it, I'm, I'm there. If it's empty... You try to try to fill it. Try to fill that that um, that gap. And ultimately, you're pointing to God, who's the ultimate one, the ultimate one who fills it. And if it's hurting, love it. Love it. That's that's compassion. That's what Jesus did when he saw the hurting. It said that he he wept, like he wept for the like a shepherd saw saw the sheep and the the lost sheep. He wept for them. And then it says in the end of verse 8, these things are excellent and profitable for people. If we do all those things, if we model that and follow Jesus' example with all those things, the result is excellent and profitable for people. You'll see the, the fruit come forth. You'll see the, it blossom and, and what comes about as a result of of that. God's the one that, that brings forth and, and bears the fruit. We abide in Him. He's the one that brings forth the, the profit or the harvest and the fruit. Okay, and I'm going to close with a, a story. It's a, a true story. And it's a story about a pastor who he had to go out of town for a missions conference or some kind of ministry conference. And so he's out of town. He's staying at a hotel and, you know, he finishes his sessions for that day. So he goes back to his room, and he's kind of ready to go ahead and you know, go to sleep and get ready for the next day. And so he, you know, sometimes, you know, you're in a hotel room, and it's, it's just not as comfortable as being back home. And so he, he sleeps for a little while, and then he's just not comfortable. And so he decides to just kind of get up and you know, figure out, I mean, he's in a new new city, might as well see what's there. And he knows that there's a a sign across the street 
the neon sign says diner 24-7. And so, you know, it, when you're somewhere that you don't know and you, there's nothing else to do, just go to the 24-7 the diner, right? So he, he does. He goes over there inside. I'm going to go get a burger and, and um, you know, just see, see what's out there. And so he goes there and he finds a little seat. And this is kind of... The, burning the midnight oil here so he's he's out there and um and he gets his his seat he orders his burger he's waiting on the burger and there's there's a few other people there uh not many because it's late at night and and also the people that are there are the people that tend to be more active at night so you know they're kind of um the the night cats and um they're they're doing what they do at nighttime and so he's he's sitting there waiting on his burger and he kind of just keeping to himself, but he overhears a couple tables down from him, there's a, a group of ladies that were sitting at that table, and he, you know, he overhears them talking, and, and it doesn't take long, and he realizes that they were prostitutes. They were prostitutes sitting at the table, getting themselves something to eat, and so he figures, I'm just going to kind of mind my own, own business, eat my burger, and, um, you know, then go back to my hotel room. And, but then he hears one of them say, mentioned that it was their birthday. It was one of their, their birthdays, and she mentions it, and she says, I never really even had my birthday celebrated. I never really had a birthday cake. I'm, I'm used to it. Like, I never had that before, and so it's just another birthday. And, and some of the girls even echoed that, and they, they said, yeah, I, I, I hear you. I, I know what that's like. And the pastor just felt convicted in his heart, like, you know, I don't know what, what I'm supposed to do, but here I am, I'm just trying to enjoy my burger, but I see, I see some brokenness, I hear some, some hurt, some heartache, so what can I do, you know, what can I do about this? So he, he gets up and he goes back to the kitchen and he, he talks to the cook, cook there and he says, hey, do you, you guys make cakes? And the cook laughs, he says, Cakes aren't on the menu. We've never made a cake. Like, that's, you don't come here for cake. We're a diner. You get burgers and, you know, fries and, and that stuff. There, there are no cakes here. The pastor said, well, you've got flour, right? He said, yeah. And you've got eggs, yeah. You've got sugar, yeah. You can make a cake. You can make a cake. And it looks like, I mean, I can try. I can try. And the pastor's like, I'll pay you. I'll pay you to make a cake. You, you make a cake, best as you can make it, and I'll pay you for it. So, so like, you know, puts his ingredients together and just does the best he can. And he actually makes a pretty decent cake. He, he found something that he was good at. He didn't even know. He, so he makes a cake, and they're able to get the cake, and they find a candle somewhere, and they put it on the cake, and they're able to light the candle, and they bring it out to her, and they sing happy birthday. And then the girls, of course, joined in, and they all sing happy birthday to her, and she gets her first birthday cake, first birthday celebration, and yeah, albeit it's in a diner, it's not the most ideal birthday setting, but it's the first one she's ever had, and and all of a sudden the emotion just spills out, and they just, you know, she starts you know, crying, the girls all start crying, and and the pastor you know, then he, he just tells them, you know, of course they want to know why, why are you even doing that? And he, sh- he shares like his heart and what the Lord had laid on his heart. 
and he's able to talk with her and, and, and share with them the gospel and, and pray with them. And, and, and then, you know, afterwards, he, you know, getting ready to pay the, the cook once they, they've left. And, and the cook says, you're a pastor? What kind of church do you go to? And the pastor smiled and said, the kind that throws birthdays at 3 a.m., That's grace. That's compassion. That's what it looks like to see a need and, and do something about it. That's what it looks like to show the love of Christ and, and the heart. And when you see hurt or you see brokenness, you do something about it. And so as we, we look at that, I just want to close by looking at what well, we talked about our testimony. Just think of your own testimony. Think of your own story. What was your life before Christ? What was it like? Think about that time when you came to Christ. What led to that? What brought it to that moment? Do you remember the conviction that, that weighed on your heart? Do you remember the Spirit just moving in, in a, a, a supernatural way? What has your life looked like since you've come to Christ? What's God been doing in your life? How has he been working? How has he been using you to go forth and, and share that hope with others? Because he wants more heirs. He wants more children. There's only two things that last forever. The word of God and the souls of people. So he, he called us to go out and bring them, bring them in the family, bring them in the fold. And if you haven't experienced that lavish love, then I invite you to get on the bridge and experience it. That tidal wave of love and grace and peace that's beyond this world. That's the love of God. There's a the hymn that talks about the love of God and it comes paints the picture of you that if you could all the ocean was ink and all the sky was paper and everybody on earth was a writer, you still could not put the whole love of God together. Let's pray together. Jesus, you love us more than we'll ever know. You demonstrated that love for us by dying on the cross for us. There is no greater love. And in the arms of the Father, there, there is love like no other. Thank you, Lord, for loving us as you do. Thank you for lavishing your love on us. Thank you for transforming our hearts and lives, and making us a new creation. Thank you that though we were dead, now we are alive. Though we were lost, now we are found. Help us to love as you have loved us. And as you said, Jesus, they'll know you're, we're your disciples by our love. So let us be, let us reflect that love that you've given to us. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.